Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Will. I'm Brian. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons & Dragons, from gibbering gelatinous oozes to gentle geniuses. Today, we're covering the Giant Pantheon. Hey, Brian. Well, it's our biggest episode yet. I know. It's the biggest big guys. <laughs> it is. They're so the big. Biggest of the, it's the big guys, big guys. They're so big, they don't fit on this plane. <laughs> it's They true. need another one. <laughs> That's very true. So, uh, well, just to read the beginning of my uh, my notes, uh, in today's episode, we aren't covering your average big guy. We are covering their gods, the big guys, big guys, if you will. The bigger guys. The bigger guys. The biggest the bigger guys. guys the they got to be guys? the biggest guys. Probably, right? Like yeah, that's how right. this whole thing works, right? I think so. Now, <laughs> the Giant Pantheon isn't is actually a rather robust one with quite a multitude of deities which would be impossible to cover in a single episode. Mm-hmm. So, this episode is going to be primarily focused on Anam the Allfather, the chief deity of the Pantheon. My everything dad. The everything dad, and his main consort, uh, Athea. And there will also be an overview of Anam's uh, seven children that he produced with an unknown sky goddess who became the primary deities of all giant kind. Cool. Okay. So I remember, I remember Athea a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. I, right. And then I remember, um, uh, I remember Anna making rocks and we, we've talked about, we talked about a lot about Anna and his seven children in their creation. You're, like, you're, you're going to be, uh, there's going to be not a recap, but you're going to be refreshed on a lot of Anna stuff very, very soon. That's good because this thing does last a year and we don't take like tests or anything after no, for me. We don't. <laughs> so I don't. I don't always retain all the info, but there's a lot of info, dude. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I am getting good at Dungeons and Dragons lore. Yeah. Yes, you are. You've improved greatly. It's true. <laughs> um, we will also touch on the many children Anna had with Athea herself, who, despite being the mother of all giant kind, is not the mother of their main gods. Um, mm. It's an enormous and messy family tree in this part of the outer planes and the history and lore surrounding this pantheon are very reminiscent of the real life mythos of greek or norse pantheons full of capriciousness hubris betrayal and infidelity so let's yeah. get into it it's a it's the drama it's yeah what, lots uh, of drama lots of drama lots of backstabbing love it so, the one thing that all giants agree upon is that anam stands over all other gods in the ordinary anam all father is the chief giant deity and is credited with the creation of the giant race he's Known also as the Prime, the Progenitor of Worlds, the Great Creator, and the Creator by Thought. Anam is an extremely ancient god, and much of his origins are unclear. 
He's rumored to be the offspring of the primordial forces of law and chaos. Myths claim he fathers other gods, creates worlds, and provides the tools for others to create upon substrates. And he is even said to be the creator of the elements themselves. Okay. Far across all times, planes, and worlds, Anim's greatness unfolds itself. His merest passing thoughts have given birth to worlds, and the god is seen by the giants, at least, as being without peer. Honestly, Anam seems to be one of those greater deities that is so strong they kind of border on over deityism, like okay. um, like Io sometimes does. He's the, uh, oh yeah, dragon, okay. that's the dragon one, and then yeah. Ao is the Forgotten Realms official over deity. Like now, over deityism is way, way, way bigger than um, greater greater deityism. But um, I'm just saying, like if Anam's a greater deity, he's at the high end of that. It seems from all the lore I've read about him. He's like a super god. Yeah, he's like he's like if there was something between greater D and e over D, I think Anam would probably fall in that category. I like this creator by thought thing. It's yeah. it's kind of funny to think about the war between giants and dragons, mm-hmm. and think that the giants lost when this guy can just like think of whatever he wants and kind of breathe it into existence. <laughs> right? Like, Do you just have like bad ideas? <laughs> like, <low-key? laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and maybe he does. He he honestly he doesn't seem that wise with a lot of stuff he does, but he's kind of a god of duality and we're going to get into it. So he's not really doing stuff on a whim, is he? Like is he just kind of Sometimes thinking? and then sometimes okay. super not. So like he if a god could be said to be forth. called bipolar, it would be Anam for sure. I see. Okay, yeah. yeah. Regardless, um he was one of the first gods to appear in the world. His arrival predated that of dwarves, humans, and even elves. He's depicted as an enormous 100-foot-tall giant with flowing white hair and a regal beard wearing deep blue robes. Nice. So Anam has a conflicted and dual nature, which proves to be his undoing. Mm. On the one hand, he is an all-knowing god of learning, philosophy, and deep meditations. Anam is considered to be omniscient, but he chooses not to know certain things in his wisdom, which sounds like a very sorry excuse for not actually being omniscient. Um, <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> no no i i, I don't know that because i don't want to know I, exactly but against this uh vastly uh cerebral nature one must set anam's instinctual even lustful nature um he's not a god for whom contemplations hold endless attraction anam is fertile and vigorous having sired numerous children and keeping multiple paramours and he makes a considerable number of mistakes when governed by his instincts equally notorious are his insight jealousy, wit, and impatience. Anam can spend a thousand years contemplating a single subject while at the same time be an entity who acts on impulse. He is Mm. patient, not caring about the passing of time due to his immortal nature, but simultaneously impatient for his long-reaching goals to reach their conclusion. Like, he wants it now, but he knows he has to be patient, but he doesn't like being patient, but he guesses he has to, but sometimes he's not. He's not not beholder patient. He's... uh... So I can see this impulsiveness in other giants, you know, like they're, yeah. especially the lower ordering, they're all impulse pretty much. Mm-hmm. Just feed yeah. me, baby. Feed yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cases they are. Additionally, Anam is seen in a different light by each of his various different worshipers. For example, hill giants imagine him as an enormous glutton and master of the grandest pantry in all the multiverse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stone giants envision him as an unparalleled artist. Frost giants see him as a glorious reveler and warrior. Um, and this may be a chicken in the egg situation. Is he seen as all those things because he is so multifaceted or is he so multifaceted because he is seen simultaneously as all these things by countless worshipers? Yeah. I, it sounds like he's like, you're a God creating his, his, um, I don't know what you call it. Like his following, like he's creating these giants yeah. in, his, in his own image. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these giants all see what they see in themselves as the best parts of them in him. Right. I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Aptly put. So re- regardless, Anam is remarkably selfish. Like all that aside, he's a selfish <laughs> son of a bitch. Cool. Uh, he yeah, sees he has, all- he's got a fucking leaderboard that he made himself the top he does, of. He does. <laughs> that's exactly right. Seeing all others as hopelessly inferior to himself. And he remains wholly uninterested in the passage of time. Thus his son, Stronmus, who we will detail later is the only offspring of all his many offspring who makes him proud and contented while his other sons. Yeah. While his other son, well, he also has a daughter he also likes, but we'll get into that later too. While his other sons have been distinctly less of a blessing to him, their endless schisms and bickering weary Adam and bring him depression and loneliness. (laughs) Can you imagine like going to fucking giant Thanksgiving? (laughs) 
<laughs> just being like, like sitting next to your one kid and every time you're forced to interact with the others, you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I picture now? that's how it is. Um, I picture that's how it is. Shut up. Everybody just to, shut up. To be fair, besides Strongmas, all of Anam's other kids suck. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so except, it's legit. <laughs> ex- except for the one daughter that he also likes. Okay, She's awesome. For, for sure. Um, Got it. We'll, We'll get, we'll get into it, though. Speaking of Anam's children, he had many. His first six sons, Stronmus, Memnor, Surtur, Thrym, Scorius, and Grolanter, along with a seventh daughter, Hiatia, were born by an unnamed sky goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whoever the sky goddess is slash was, she must have been fairly powerful because all seven of her babies are greater deities in their own right and the main deities of all giant kind, despite being born far before and far separate from the actual mortal giants that came to populate the world. Like so, they're so, not actually of the same brood. So it's like the celestial entity pretty much. I, I'm kind of yeah. picturing the sky goddess is like we up here and I'm godly. And that's all you need to know. That's all. That's all you need to know. I make babies. I make babies. And they're so I make strong. Really big ass babies. <laughs> they're so goddamn strong. I made um, two good ones. So each, each one is a, each of these children is a patron deity of a specific race of giant. And we have talked briefly about each of them and the respective giant episodes a little bit. We're right. Expand a little bit more on that. And before someone hits me in the comics, uh, he's got a lot more kids than this, like, and by other gods. And he has other children who are greater deities of other giant kind. We're not getting into that. Today is about the core family, Anam, Athea, the unnamed sky goddess and her seven kids. <laughs> this is all just uh, like immediate family. We're not talking about distant relatives. Yeah. We're, we're not, not doing, we're not yeah. doing that. Cause we're not, we're also not talking about Athea's like other kids that she, cause she cheats on Anna all the time, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Oh, okay. So, anyways, speaking of Athea, at some point, Anna meets a demigoddess named Athea who I could find no description for except for the fact that she has a physical manifestation as a mountain in the cold lands of Toril. Dope. That's some Moana shit. Yeah, so Anna marries Athea, and she bears for him his terrestrial children, the original giants. Their names were Lanaxis, Masud, Nicias, Obadai, Otar, Rook, Vilmos, and his two-headed son, Arno and Julian. And oh, they are uh, each, like the Ettons? Yeah, the Ettons, yeah. Each of these are the progenitor of their specific giant race. Okay. Um, so these are the terrestrial children. The this is... This is glad I I'm glad I can look at it because it's all it's there's a lot of names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is the first episode where you you have the notes up, too. Yeah. And I I should really should really just been doing this the whole time. Yeah. No, uh, I'm yeah, because I'm really, really enjoying this. But um, but yeah, uh, we should have uh, we should also note that this is our first episode that we've zoomed um, Mm. the dungeon cast. Yes, I was Uh, exposed to possible covid. So I'm staying the fuck away from everybody for until I get tested appreciated um yeah we, of course you seem good though so yeah no i feel fine but you know All we'll right. see well, we'll find best out best of luck back to giants oh yeah so after the birth of his terrestrial sons Anam founded a kingdom called astoria for them and their offspring as a sign of his favor okay. he also established the ordning so that his mortal descendants could always know their status amongst each other and as a story, sure. <laughs> sure, that's why. Fuck yeah. And, and, as the story grew, Anam subdivided the kingdom into several regions, one for each of his favorite sons. Vilmos claimed dominion over the seas and lakes. Nicias was seated the skies. Rook claimed the kingdom's rolling hills. Otar was granted the cold wastes to the north. Masud received the fiery peaks to the south. Obadiah claimed the cold caverns of the Underdark. And Lenaxis, the eldest son of Anam and Athea, claimed the cold, vast plains as his own and was accepted as a natural leader by others due to his great size and strength. Because that's really what it comes down to. You know, they, they, yeah. say, they say the storm giants are in charge because of all these other things. No, they're just bigger and stronger. That's really what this is about. Yeah, it's not even it, like brains is okay, I guess, if you got them. But yeah. not necessary. Not no. necessary, no. Also, this would make some sick song lyrics, just like detailing what these dudes do oh yeah to rhyme a little fucking, bit. yeah i should write some some metal songs just based <laughs> on dd lore that'd be dope <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after the kingdom was subdivided lenexus constructed uh vonenheim also known as the bleak palace it was a sturdy citadel that served as astoria's capital for the next thousand years and over the course of the next several centuries Anam's sons founded the dynasties that became the hill giants the stone giants the frost giants the fire giants um, and each one um, was assigned a different name. And the twisted brood of Adam's two-headed son, Arno and Julian, were ultimately known as the Ettons. Okay, yeah. So that, that all tracks. Yeah. 
got to we got to we got to get everybody's leaderboard leaders up there. Right, exactly. So, at almost the same time a story was founded, the first dragons started hatching all across Faerun. At first, the giants paid little attention to the few Drakelings that they discovered in icy caverns and secluded valleys. But within a few centuries, after some of the dragons reached maturity, the giants recognized the great reptiles as powerful and cunning interlopers who threatened Asteria's very existence. Mm. Soon, open, open warfare raged between giants and dragonkind with the rich resources of the world awaiting the victor. But after more than a thousand years of warfare, Astoria finally reached a truce with dragonkind. Accounts of the truce and its origins vary. According to ancient dwarven manuscripts, the dragons sued for peace in order to prepare for a great civil war that led to the separation between chromatic and metallic orders. Okay, um, that sounds dope. Yeah, that does sound dope. According to the texts and ballads of the giants, on the other hand, Anam and the dragon god Garrix played a game uh, called Wari, which was a strategy board game to settle the war. So skilled were the two opponents, though, that the game ended in a stalemate. And the war came to an end in the same manner. So that's that's their mythos for why there was a, a truce. The fucking uh, the fucking story ate itself. They played a fucking board game. They were playing <laughs> a board game. Yeah, I know, right? But by the time the war against Dragonkind concluded, a story had shrunk to only a shadow of its former self. On the day the truce was declared, the nation of giants occupied only the northernmost edge of Faerun, the area is now known as the Savage North and the Coldlands. Yeah. So currently, spires and shit. Yeah, currently, Anam has largely retreated from the events in the Prime Material Plane. There are, are many theories as to why Anam turned his back on the world. Some say he simply grew tired of watching over the countless worlds he created and conflicts on them, particularly those of his competitive children. Others, in more humorous vein, say that he fled to escape his many nagging paramours, concubines, and wives, <laughs> um, oh a result God. of his lustful nature. But, okay. fifth, but fifth edition claims that when Astoria fell, Anam disowned his children, swearing never to regard the giants again until they returned Astoria to its past prominence and reclaimed their rightful positions as rulers of the world. Mm. But still, most sources disagree with even that, and they say that Anam's disappearance involves a betrayal by his wife, Athea. I like the one where his leaderboard gets shit on by a bet a, a bigger, better leaderboard. <laughs> yeah. He, has to th- he throws it in the fucking he's like static, like stone. He has to make a new one when it changes. He just fucking breaks it, throws yeah. it in the trash and leaves. I, it's like, I'm I out. like that one too. And that is the most current one, but uh I can't ignore the one that every other freaking edition had. So let's get into it. It's probably some combo, but yeah, let's, let's yeah. talk about it. It's whatever you want if you're the DM. Um so let's talk about Athea. Uh Again, I couldn't find any description of where she came from or what she looks like, save for the fact that she physically manifests in the world as an enormous mountain. So as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, Anna married and had kids with a mountain. And apparently, Athea was one very alluring mountain because she had quite a few more children from some other gods. It's just like, man, this land formation is big as fuck. I'm into that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> exactly. For Athea developed an interest in a minor sea god known as Ulatiu, and they had an affair. And this was hardly her first adulterous foray. Long before this, she had betrayed Anna with pressure, agreed destruction, frenzy, and violence resulting in the creation of the ogre race. Um, mm. During the last few years of the war, Yikes. yeah, I know. During the last few years of the war, while Anna was preoccupied, and Ula, the Ulatiu and Athea, Ulatiu and Athea carried out a passionate affair they hoped to conceal from the jealous Allfather. Ultimately, though, their union produced four sons who later founded the four giant kin dynasties of uh, Fearbolg, Ver- Verbeeg, Vodkin, and Fomorian. Um, I only... I. I, I know two of those. Yeah, I know two of them. Verbi like rings a bell, but I don't really know what that is. Yeah, I haven't really looked too far into them. So, despite Athea's oh. best efforts, and Anam eventually discovered her dalliances and sought revenge upon Ulatiu. His wrath was terrible, and ancient giant carvings show him slaying Ulatiu, causing a massive tempest. Ulatiu fell deep into the cold ocean, where his magical amulet began to freeze the ocean waters around him. Hmm. Heartbroken, Athea refused to procreate with Anam again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Anam, who refused to be denied, tricked her by taking the form of a divine. Hold on. Uh, I got to read this sentence. He tricked her by taking the form of a divine wind and, blow- <laughs> and blowing across her slopes, souring Whoa. one more sun. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> who, would okay. rest- who would restore the falling giant kingdom? What the fuck? 
<laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm going to back out. I'm going to back yeah. out of this, this bad place. My brain went and go yeah. into like, I do like the idea of these, like the physical manifestations of nature kind of. Yes. Like absolutely. sort of embodying. Like, and it, to me, it very well reflects something Zeus would have done. Zeus would have blown <laughs> his gentle winds across her slopes and there would have been a kid somehow. Oh, gross. <laughs> However, this is so gross. She immediately realized what had been done and refused to give birth to the child. She's a god. She could do that. They eventually came to a reluctant agreement in which Anna would leave the world behind till his last son, Athea, would give birth to, called out his name. Athea, in turn, would not expel the child prematurely. Uh, unfortunately, okay. for, unfortunately for Anna, this plan never comes to fruition for the ice spreading from Ulutiu's amulet formed the endless ice sea and the Great Glacier, which destroyed much of what little remained of Astoria. So dead Ulutiu got his revenge by turning into a giant ice boulder. Cool. That's good. <laughs> um, which uh, even threatening the capital city of Vonenheim, where Lenaxis, the eldest of Anam's terrestrial children, dwelt. He and his brothers wished to stop the spreading ice, but Athea, in her grief for Ulutiu, forbade them from even so much as setting foot on the ice. In defiance, Lenaxis met with his siblings to develop a plan to retrieve Ulutiu's amulet and stop the destruction of their capital, but his brother Dunmore refused to disobey their mother and instead threw the meeting into chaos. Mm. Lenaxis was forced to modify his plan, instead deciding to poison Athea, so he decided to kill his own mother. Well, they're so fucking high level, though. What is poison going to do? Um... That's a metagame he, joke about how poison stops working at the high levels. He he did poison her with something very specific. I, I don't okay. know if I read it down, but it was like some super mega ultra poison from like some sacred land. Uh, Anyways. That's, in, that's in page two, uh, 248 of the DMG. Super mega ultra poison. <laughs> yeah, that yeah that one. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so this plan ends up backfiring horrendously when he accidentally poisons most of his brothers as well. <laughs> Dumbass. Okay. <laughs> when Athea insists they all drink with her, Athea <laughs> cursed her son with her dying breath, and then her mountainous body died, trapping the half-grown full, the half-grown final son of Anam, the one he's waiting to hear on from, in order to come back within herself. So she couldn't give birth because she died. Yeah, basically. Now I, I think later on in some other book somewhere, like there is an adventure where like they somehow bring this dude out and he's he 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 is born uh i can't remember his name it's like heart blight or something weird like that i don't know i didn't get into <laughs> it i was like that's too much i got other stuff to talk about so it does sound fun like your adventure leading to like we must give birth to the final son of anm yeah yeah we got to cut this mountain wide open yeah. baby we got to called heart killer or something like that i don't remember we're going to frack the top right off this damn mountain <laughs> yeah exactly okay. now there is a lot more to this story oh i I wrote this in my notes. Now, there's a lot more that happens <laughs> later, but we're going to leave it there and move on to other deities. Uh, plus, 5e simplifies all this by just saying that Anam is mad at the giants for losing the war to the dragons, and that is why he turned his back on the world. When, the world, when the world turns its back on you, you turn your back, back on the on world. The world. Time for but he did rest. not Hakuna Matata. No, he, he did didn't. the fucking opposite. Yeah, we should have Hakuna Matata and take short rest. Hakuna Matata. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, be sure to check out Super, Super Quest, Quest Saga. Saga, a future fantasy 5th edition D&D actual play podcast from Brood and Dungeon Mastered by yours truly, me, and Set in Space. And I play in it, along with your special guest Jake and friend of the show, Josh Freeland. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Super Quest Saga! We've returned. Indeed we have. We're back, Well, These... Uh, this Pantheon thing is cool. Uh, it, it really is just like a bunch of drama. Yeah, it like, is. Uh, it is. I, and I don't know tale. why, but I eat it up. I, I, I was, I had a really good time researching today's episode. Um, yeah. These are like the comic book heroes of old. Like, yeah. uh, well, kind not of, these ones. The this is like the D and D version of that. But yeah, when sure. I, when I think about like a, um, like a Greek Pantheon, mm-hmm. that always seems like, um, how people write comic books these days oh, where yeah. a, a poet will pick it up and be like, well, what if it was like this though? Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I, I love that. Especially DC comics, but yeah, absolutely. Right. And this has that feel to me. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, like these are, these are heroes or, or big, um, big figures that are, you know, they change from edition to edition and their writings are picked up and, and manipulated a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did want to pick up a little bit on the Verbeeg. Um, right. Right. So uh, the Verbeek and the other the other four races we mentioned and and plus Goliaths too I pulled that up so oh cool um, cool I'm just just checking out the Forgotten Realms wiki since that's the like official sort of setting sure. according to D and D but yeah um, these Verbeeks were giant kin like all these are mm-hmm. uh, and they were sometimes known as human behemoths because they resemble humans more than any other giant race and okay. Verbeeks were accomplished spear fighters so that's literally the first paragraph that you see when you pull up Verbeek on this on this wiki okay um, so they're yeah, like they're just, big humans. Yeah, they look strong. Um, they don't look quite like Goliaths. Goliaths have more like that Kratos look. Mm-hmm. They kind of look like um, they've they've got like gianty features, maybe like their big floppy ears and like their big nose and and brow and stuff like that. Right. Um, kind of more of a Neanderthal look. And then we got the Vodkin, um, the wood giants, right? Th- those are actually just wood giants. Yeah, yeah. They're giant kin, which they we will talk sh- about next giant episode. Spoilers. Right. <laughs> so they're. Uh, they're, they shun contact with giants. They live in the forest, obviously. So Fearbolg or Furbolg. We know we what those are. Talked about those before. Yeah. Uh, playable race, really popular. Yeah. Also um, different now than they used to be. Yes. Uh, and then the Fomorians, they're basically just big. We just monsters. did an episode on them this year. So. Yeah. So you should be caught up if you're paying yeah. attention. And the Goliaths, obviously. I can't find on Forgotten Realms Wiki like the tie to giants specifically, like right off the top. But mm-hmm. we know that those are giant kin as well. Right. Yeah, in some settings they are, and others I'm not sure if they are. It's their 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 whole uh, origins are unclear, like so many things in this game. Yeah, we were talking about it during the break that um, yeah. they haven't come up yet. Well, mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, so they're not tied into much of the lore, but but yeah, let's get back into it. So, giant sure. gods. Um, we're gonna go over Anam's main seven children, um, the most prominent ones, and we're gonna start with uh, his first son, Stronmus. So Stronmus is the giant deity of the sun, sky, weather, seas, and joy. He is the eldest son of Anam and the brother to Hiatia, Grolantor, Memnor, Scoreas, Surtur, and Thrym. He's a patron deity of the storm giants. Shortly after he came of age, Stromnus adopted the skies as his purview. With Anam gone, however, he is now responsible for the affairs of the entire ordinary, though he certainly doesn't covet his father's power. Um, the moment Anam returns, Stronus would happily relinquish the throne. Like He doesn't want to be there, really. 
Oh, okay. He's just like watching over his dad's business. Which, yeah, which is <laughs> in some aspects a good attribute in a leader, like someone who picks it up because it's the responsible right thing to do and not so much because they want the power. Right, yeah. Um, so he spends most of his time in the outer plane of the Beastlands, which we have not talked about and will get yeah, its own episode one day. It's okay. it's one of the good-ish, neutral-ish uh, outer planes. Um, All right. Here he's believed to inhabit a spectacular cloud palace. At the center of the palace is a magical uh, opal pool, some 500 feet long to the viewer, but of endless size to anyone swimming in it. <clears throat> Strongmas delights in swimming here with Trishina, the dolphin goddess, and his sister, Hiatia, uh, and with Sermonaire, the Selkie queen. In the skies okay. of the... <laughs> In the skies above his home, he rides the air currents with Eredre Fania the, of the elves and Serenita, the Aarakocra goddess. He likes to chill with a bunch of goddesses. Yeah, it just sounds <laughs> like you're talking about a fucking rich kid that hangs out at his fucking mansion with his <laughs> big ass pool. That's exactly his, what like, he does. Five <laughs> acres of clear land. That's exactly what he is. And he has all his, all his pop star <laughs> girlfriends over. That's who he is. That's Stronmus. He's kind of cool. I fucking love Stronmus. Yeah, I love Stronmus Stronmus. Let's go. Stronmus is easily my favorite giant god. Anyways, <laughs> Stronmus takes pleasure in consorting with good deities of skies and seas, and he has many friends among them. Stronmus is a god in whom the power of life itself flows very strongly. Like his avatar, Stronmus cannot help but be ever smiling, and it is hard for him not to express his powerful energy in dramatic form. He delights in creating powerful storms in the beastlands, reveling in the lightning and driving rain um whooping to the thunder he creates from his own magical hammer the dude oh just God. the dude's just hype he just likes to be alive he's yeah. just into it he's um, day drinking he's definitely at brunch he's a day drinker a for sure he, he's got he's got shorts and a polo on with uh-huh. sunglasses yeah and sandals at, at brunch absolutely that's this guy um this can be a terrifying spectacle for the unprepared for the god is very strong and powerful and sometimes his joy in the elements makes him forget his own strength Cool. Um, like <laughs> all mem- too fucking too hype too drunk he breaks stuff <laughs> exactly like all <laughs> members of the ordning each of the giant uh, breeds tends to see Stronmus in a different light uh, to the hill giants he's a mighty fisherman to the frost giants he's a bold sailor and explorer to the cloud giants he's a thundering god of storms in any case all see him as far more youthful vigorous and carefree than the Allfather. Stronmus is frequently depicted smiling or revel- reveling uh, enormous 80 foot tall giant with blue eyes and flowing red hair wearing simple white robes okay so that's kind of like papa that is the only nice giant besides hiatia we're going to talk about today so (laughs) get ready for a lot of really asshole motherfuckers i mean this guy borders on the obnoxious surely he's obnoxious but he's also dope (laughs) yeah he's he's, also the he's he's very nice guy he's He's the the coolest guy you've ever met he will lend you your car note money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Memnor is the next god we're going to talk about. He's the giant deity of pride and control, and he's the patron deity of the cloud giants. Uh, Memnor is subtle, charming, intelligent, cultured, and according to some, deeply and intensely evil. His- <laughs> what a charming, intelligent man. But don't, don't fuck with him, though. Just don't even talk don't, to don't, him. Just don't. His sin is pride, the desire to usurp Anam even now with the Prime God's withdrawn aspect, and to rule all the affairs of giant kind. He is known all to right. be deceitful and intensely cruel. Many of the stories within giant society that recount his exploits emphasizing his charisma, emphasize his charisma and manipulative nature. His chosen instruments are evil cloud giants and the only priests that he will accept he corrupts them by constantly telling them of their superiority, stressing their firstborn status in the worlds, and by belittling other giant races. He has exercised schemes to usurp Anam the Allfather as the head of the Ordning, but has thus far been unsuccessful. And he ever bends his will towards increasing the power of evil giant kind. Okay, so he wants to be Stromness. He wants to be top dog, but he's yeah. second to Stromness, yeah. What's the, um, what's the cloud giant, super giant? Um, oh, uh, they're the 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 two the faced the liars of Memnor or whatever they're called. Yeah, the mask wearing one. Yeah, yeah, I know we know what we're talking about. The, yeah. So this guy's in. When I think of evil, you know, giants, it's that. It's those guys. He's Loki. Okay. Like like Strong misses Thor. Memnor is Loki. Got Enough it. Said. <laughs> yes. When Memnor and his brother Gerlanter were just children, 
Their play resulted in a mischievous plot to ultimately thrust the Jotunbrunn giants into a minor war against the ogres. As a consequence, as a consequence, Anna forbade his children from interfering directly in the affairs of giants for as long as he sat atop the ordinary. Once Anam exiled himself from Gudheim, which is his crystal palace in Jotunheim, which is one of the layers on the outer plane of Isgard, which is where he lived, Mem- <laughs> <laughs> Memnor and Gurlanter managed to convince Stromness and Hiatia that the is no longer valid. Uh, basically, uh, Anam is no longer atop the ordering since he has divorced himself from all giant kind. So, okay. Since that day, the children of Anam, Memnor among them, have incessantly meddled in the affairs of giants. Got it. All right, so they're fuck boys. Yeah, generally giants <laughs> who worship Memnor are of evil alignment. His most prevalent worshippers are cloud giants, his favorite of giant kind, though many within the race reject him due to his deceitful nature and are more drawn to Stronmus. Okay. Benign, benign cloud giants that do revere Memnor typically respect him for his charm, intellect, and persuasiveness, while those who lean more towards evil are known to embrace his selfishness and imitate his trickster ways. Those who those who worship Memnor believe that Anam has grown old and weak, and they view his incompetence as being largely at fault for the fall of Astoria. Beyond that, his followers value cunning, secrecy, and the element of surprise over vic- victory through mere brute force. They consider their highest duty to be safeguarding the secrecy of Memnor's scheme to one day overthrow Anam. It, there's, it sounds like there's some truth there, like yeah, why they don't yeah. like An- Anam, because yeah. he kind of fucking is weird. It, in a lot of ways, weird. it is Anna's fault that a lot of bad things happen. Yeah, because he's just thinking about stuff and it happens. Maybe that's yeah. not. Is that all in his control? It sounds like maybe it would be like people. To be who think fair, we through. don't even know how much of that is true. Like, yeah, that's the type of thing that his worshippers who think he is like the ultimate power in the universe believe. But like we know from like a zoomed out D and D aspect that he's certainly not the most powerful thing in the universe. So I'll be up there, but yeah. yeah. He's up there, but he, he ain't like the one. So Exactly, yeah. So next we're going to talk about Surtur. Surtur is worshipped as the giant god of fire, smithing, and war. He is the chief deity of fire giants and is believed to have been born alongside his twin brother, Thrym. He's depicted as an immensely large fire giant with crackling flames in place of hair and eyebrows. Famed for his rivalry with his brother, Thrym, each twin tried to be the first to cry out, the first to walk, and the first to talk, and they've competed with one another ever since. <laughs> nice. Often... Yeah, often the legends, these these contests are bloody battles, but some tales have the brothers acting side by side on grand adventures. Surtur is seen as the more clever of the two, and fire giants attempt to emulate his unsurpassed skill at creating building rings. Fire giant priests were normally architects or smiths. Those few who weren't uh, were charged with the responsibility of keeping the rest of the tribe productive, largely by recounting inspirational tales, mostly about Surtur. Okay, <laughs> I'm picturing uh, Hades from you know the Hercules movie, the Disney mm-hmm. movie. Oh, because uh, the, the flaming hair, the, the flaming hair and eyebrows. Is pretty yeah, funny. yeah, it's true. It's Just true. When Hades gets mad, he turns all red. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So Surtur teaches that fire is pure, cleansing, and strong. The weak and impure burn while the strong survive. Fire is a useful is useful as a tool, but must be respected. It is dangerous when uncontrolled. But because of the destructive power of fire, the worship of Surtur tends to be tinged with an apocalyptic air. Mm-hmm. Some observers suspect that the priests of Surtur maintain clandestine workshops and armories where they manufacture and stockpile battle gear in preparation for a final all-encompassing battle that will decide the fate of the world, Ragnarok. If, nice. If the suspicions are true, these sites are expertly hidden and kept secret even from, the most, from most fire giants. The same theorists say that Surtur stands ever alert in Muspelheim, which is another layer of Isgard, which is an outer plane that will get its own episode one day, brandishing his sword that shines brighter than the sun, waiting for the day he will be responsible for setting the world on fire, burning it down to make room for a new one. That is fucking cool. (laughs) I mean, in a bad way, but yeah. In a bad way, uh, yeah. uh, I like how, I like how, who are these, who are these theorists? Just some, some fe- fucking uh, um, like, scholars, um, scholars and shit. Yeah, scholars yeah. are like uh, what is it? Um, seers or what? what yeah. oracles. Some yeah, fucking sure. or- some fu- some giant oracles. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. There's a fear bulb in the forest having a panic attack because he saw a vision of, of <laughs> fucking flaming down his forest. Yeah, with a giant yeah, sure. Sword. It could be something like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so next, we're gonna talk about his brother Thrym. Thrym is worshipped by the Frost Giants as the giant god of cold, ice, and strength. He's depicted as an exceptionally large Frost Giant wearing chainmail and a coat made of white fur. He is the twin of the Fire Giant god, Surtur. 
Uh, Thrymis long rivaled his brother Surtur for Anam's affection and, and pride. Frosh, but as a, as we both know, Anam actually doesn't like both of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frost giants pride themselves on Thrym's victories over Surtur and other legendary threats when he proved to have more strength and a steadier heart than his brother. Yeah, Anam was always more swayed by Surtur's well-crafted gifts and by the trophy heads Thrym laid at his feet. Uh, for this reason, Frost Giants bear more ill will toward Anam than most other giants do. That tracks. I mean, with the giant lore that we found out about fire and, and frost, like this totally is like magnified at the at that level. Right. Um, exactly. Them making fire giants making stuff. Uh, right. Frost Giants. And not frost Giants stuff. can't make shit. <laughs> they suck. They low key really suck. Because really they can't be near fire. I mean, they do suck, but they also just can't be near fire. So. Yeah, I remember their super giant form being very scary. Um, um oh yeah, because they they go to Vakrak the Destroyer and become like troll frost giants. Yeah, don't they like grow? Uh, they have they get like regen and grow extra head or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike his brothers, Thrym is seldom depicted alone. He's usually accompanied by up to ten shield brothers and shield sisters, heroic frost giants that won such glory during the war between giants and dragons that Thrym granted them the honor of fighting forever at his side. Thrym rules the realm of Fimblewinter with a stronghold and fest hall known as Neef Hall. Um, Jeez, man. Those are some great, these are some real zingers. Yeah. His domain is located on the plain of Jotunheim, part of Isgard. Uh, It is said to be mountainous, but covered with snow, ice, frost, and glaciers. He said that it is said that he prefers to roam the mountains and glaciers of this plain rather than maintaining himself in his permanent residence. So he's got a house. He doesn't really stay there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like a permanent vacation home. almost. Exactly. So for like these giants all throw rock. That's like a move they do. Yeah, sure. Uh, do these do these like ultra giants? Maybe this one throws glacier. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe Surtur throw meteor. <laughs> yeah well i mean in the in the monster manual they have a, a visual depiction of each giant the type of boulder they would throw and each one is kind of flavored to so like the rock that frost giant one is like an icy boulder and the, yeah. the fire giant one is like a magma boulder and yeah. i mean there's <laughs> okay, no yeah. point there's no actual effect which i think would be cool if there was but uh you know like maybe yeah, like what it do, it do they'd split up the damage to do bludgeoning and fire damage yeah or, or, or cold damage. yeah exactly but that they would don't. be fun yeah yeah that would don't. be a very fourth edition thing to do which is of course where my origins with the game come from so i tend to lean towards that more video game aspect of, of stuff but i understand it's why extra, it's not that way it's an extra line of text keep things simple streamline it's a yeah. big rock yeah big rock big rock hurt okay Okay, so Scoreus Stonebones is the next god we're going to talk about. Uh, Love that. Yeah, he is worshipped as the god of knowledge, crafting, and stone by the stone giants. Scoreus is yet another of Anam's sons. Unlike most of his siblings, though, he is generally disinterested in the the affairs of the Jotunbrunn to the whole, though he makes an exception for the stone giants in particular and at times intervenes in their affairs in order to guide their development. Scoreus is known is knowledgeable about Banes, magics, and the legends of great treasures buried in the Underdark. Mm. Chosen sphere is artistic achievement. Although generally expressionless, dour, and something of a loner, Scorius has been known to occasionally consort with the gods of the dwarves and the deep gnomes. He is depicted as a large bulky stone giant with granite skin. and stone giant art, he's typically depicted as being twice as tall as any um, natural bone stone giant. Um, this is cool. Yeah. A notoriously neutral being, Scorius in many giant legends is said to have sat on the sidelines while his other siblings schemed or fought, acting as both an observer and a confidant to all parties. In some legends, he is portrayed as a keeper of one secret or another that others try to either force or trick him into revealing. Mm. Ultimately, though, Scorius has evaded the many schisms in the giantish pantheon by withdrawing deep below the earth. <laughs> For sure. Fuck you guys. I'm going home. Um, Scoreus, the fence sitter. I know. Scoreus is generally considered to be the wisest and most knowledgeable of all the giant gods when it comes to uh, banes, magic, wards, hidden treasures, and the secrets of the earth. Um, his followers highly value beauty, knowledge, and secrets. They equate knowledge with the pow- with power and consider secrets the ultimate form of power. The priests of Scoreus believe it is their duty to oversee the affairs of the stone giants, ensuring that they are con- constantly improving the artistry and pursuit of intellectual discoveries. They mm. believe that the most certain 
way of ensuring their, this goal is isolating stone giants from all other races, even the other giant races, urging tribesmen to shun interaction with outsiders on the grounds that it might distract from their artistic pursuits. However, they tolerate individuals who can add to the tribe's mastery of craftsmanship and lore, despite um, whatever race they come from. Gotcha. So next we're going to talk about Grolanter, um, hill giant god. Grolanter is the evil giant deity of hunger, chaos, and destruction, and patron of the hill giants and Ettons, as well as some frost giants and ogres. He's depicted as a 25-foot-tall hill giant wearing several belts of woven of dwarven beards. He wields, <laughs> an, he wields an oversized club called Dwarf Crusher. Cool. Um, he doesn't like dwarves, if you couldn't guess. Clearly. <clears throat> Many say that Grolanter is evil second and stupid first, and though he can be cunning and dangerous at times, he's often willfully ignorant and stubborn. He is wholly dedicated to his own conceit. He absolutely refuses to admit that any other being or deity is superior and tries to instill this attitude in his followers. Needless to say, such impetuousness has made him a number of enemies among the goblinoid gods and above all among the dwarves for whom Grolanter has an arbitrary hatred. Yeah, I don't know why I can't stop picturing Larry the Cable Guy as a Grolanter. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wasn't picturing that, but I like it. Uh, yeah, um, he's just wearing overalls and yeah. he's got a big club. <laughs> the least of NM's six sons, Grolanter is the black sheep of the family scorned by his siblings and his parents. Most of Grolanter's problems, however, are of his own doing. Proud of his great strength, his only redeeming quality, Grolanter refuses to recognize the superiority of his older, smarter, and stronger siblings and insists on being treated as their equal, which when you read that aloud, like it, that, that doesn't sound like it should be treated as equal, but that's not how it works with the leaderboards. So, No, I mean, it's not. It's definitely not an unreasonable thing to say when you put it like that. Yeah. But it also sounds like this guy can't stop talking shit. Yeah. Oh, no, he cannot. <laughs> he cannot stop running he his can't. fucking mouth. So, <laughs> so he, they're trying to put him in his place, and he will, he's stubborn. He refuses. Yeah, exactly. He complained constantly of his endless hunger, but rather than hunt for himself, he snatched food from the plates of his siblings and his parents. This behavior caused many fights between Grilanter and his siblings, most of which Grilanter lost. Tales about Grolanter <laughs> invariably ending, end with his gaining yet another scar in his back, received as he escaped the wrath of a family member who had been pushed too far by Grolanter's insulting boasts and selfishness. He has had to flee his backside turned into a pincushion from the arrows of a wrathful Hiatia on more than one occasion. Man, this is a, this is a sad story for Grolanter. He... I, he's kind of like a slave to his own nature, which yes. seems like it's pestering. Yes. But it sounds like he's the target of everybody, you know, because he's the lowest on, he's lowest yep. ranking. Uh, so he's the target of abuse. Absolutely. Uh, Last God word. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, you're good. We're, we're good there. That's okay. all I really wanted to say is like, I, I'll shed, I'll shed one tear for Grilanter. One, one, we'll one on. tear for Grilanter. Um, yes. So the final God we're going to talk about is the goddess Hiatia. Hiatia cool. is the giant goddess of nature, agriculture, and hunting. She is a dual aspect goddess as her mythic history uh, befits. Anam originally preferred sons over daughters, and he used magic to ensure the gender of all his offspring was male. He oh, Tia's, okay. Tia's mother, though, the unnamed sky goddess, probably sick of Anam's bullshit by this point, hid her <laughs> yeah. pregnancy from Anam and had her daughter raised by fear bulgs so that Anam would never learn of her existence. That's fucking cool. She thus had a strong affinity with community, agriculture, and the upbringing of the young, especially with her furbolg priests. Furbolgs love her. She loves furbolgs. Um, however, on learning of her father's identity, she vowed to present herself to him as worthy of his acknowledgement. She undertook a series of artists, trials, and quests, mostly in the woodlands where she honed her hunting skills. Thus, she has a much wilder aspect as a goddess of nature, wild places, and hunting. Okay, um, so some demigod style stuff like go. Yeah, although she is a full uh, deity, I think even greater deity. I'm not sure because yeah, both parents are more like you know go complete these the ten tasks or whatever. Yeah, very Hercules. Um, yes, Hiatia is a strong, confident, and proud goddess who is an exceptional huntswoman. She's depicted as a tanned, lithe giantess wearing leather armor and carrying a spear that inflames on her command. A bow and a quiver of arrows. Her hair is red golden, and her large eyes are hazel brown. So as I said before, Hiatia set out to prove herself worthy of her father's acknowledgement with a series of daring feats. These feats culminated in an epic battle with a great monster, um, sometimes named as a hydra with 50 heads. Oh, shit. She was said to have used her flaming spear to slay the enormous hydra, preventing its heads from regenerating by cauterizing them with fire. She brought a trophy 
she brought the trophy to of her kill to her father who recognized her valor and worth accepting her as one of his own offspring and convincing him to stop controlling the genders of his future children thank god <laughs> well then it's lo- fucking it's already over though there's no more it's true there are no more it's too there's late bro the, there's just the boy trapped in the mountain <laughs> yes it. There's just the boy trapped in the mountain. Upon learning of her existence, he and his brother Stronmus was overjoyed and celebrated by creating mighty storms that flooded the worlds, washing away great evils in the process. Um, I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Fuck? I don't know about these floods only targeting evils, but okay. Yeah, nah, <laughs> that, that probably didn't work out. Did he know his arc? Somebody? Is there a story about that? Like, I guess uh, I don't know. So, so Stronmus and he and Tia went on to become very close. Stronmus was probably thrilled to have one sane, non-evil family member for once in his life. Um, yeah, he's yeah. like, just let me like, like duo up with somebody, anybody, with somebody, somebody with anybody. anybody. Yeah, yeah, and so, uh, Anam's probably like, well, Stronmus is about it. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly right. So he is so bad. He is worshipped by giants of all species, especially females. Fearbulgs and Vodkin, the wood giants, are particularly fond of Hiatia and consider her to be their special patron. Hiatia teaches that nature is both creator and destroyer, and then admitting defeat is the worst shame a giant can bear. Nice, yeah. Just and don't talk about it. Just <laughs> just kind of eat it up. Right. And, and let it fester within. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's Tia's <laughs> way. Um, That's Tia's way. Is we just bottle our emotions. We bottle up our losses and hopefully nobody saw us beef it. So, um, so that's all the giant gods I got today, man. Um, that's all the main ones. There are more. They'll probably get episodes in the future at some point. There's so much to talk about with this game. But um, any questions? Um, no, no. Uh, I got a pretty good overview of like what this is like. Mm-hmm. And it's surprisingly like, I wonder if they built, um, you know, like the writers of the, the giant lore built things from the top down, like how the lore, it sort of suggests like we did everything from Anem and worked our way down just like the ordning would suggest. Or if they were like, had like, Oh, uh, big giants, you know, like Jack and the Beanstalk style, like classic giants. And then we build from there and like, well, they ha- must have a god. Like, where does all the writing start? And yeah, that's, and how, a, like, that's a good question. First? And it's really hard to tell when you have so many writers across so many editions. You know, like Surtur and Thrym are really good examples of they weren't really considered gods until fifth edition. And like a lot of their lore was back from before fourth edition. And in that lore, they were like called titans and they weren't gods, but they still had like a lot of the same lore. But yeah, so I, I don't know how to answer your question. It, it is a good question though. Yeah. It's more like we would go need to go on like a, uh, a Twitter detective trail or like something like that to figure out or like figure out uh, interviews. Where we would, yeah. We would have to interview how, a bunch of writers to really figure it all out. Yeah. So obviously somebody out there knows. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. if you want to tell us, go ahead and, and yeah. hit us up in the comments below. We'd, we'd love to hear about it. Sure. I did want to mention like uh, the Anam creating the, um, being responsible for like the elemental planes and stuff and why like we did talk about the the big I always forget the name of them. They were like supposed to be Titan esque, like the ones that destroy buildings really good. <laughs> the um well oh, we're talking about the the elder elementals? Yeah, the elder elementals. Yeah. Like is he is he we did, we did them be, this year too, didn't we? We did, yeah, because they're very big. They are very um, big. And it seems like according to this lore, they are loosely tied to giants, aside from being big. Uh, and well, creating the elemental planes would like sort of have a a big so part of that, right? I mean, most lore would tell you Anam did not create the elemental planes. It's but just some of it did, right? Like some of it does. Yeah, he might. And basically, have. the way I take lore like that, and and you find that kind of thing sprinkled across all the different pantheons and gods, is like, yeah. Anam could have created the elemental planes if you want it to be true. Like, yeah, it's, sure. it's like that. That's that's basically how that stuff is phrased to me when I read it. Because it's like, well, otherwise, it's just contradiction. You know, it says Anam created it here, but like other lore says Io created the fucking universe here. And then like over here, Forgotten Realms says, oh, actually, it's AO over everything. And like, it's all conflicting. So it's, you know. Yeah, it's more like suggestions. Like if you need a god to be a creator of this particular area for your story, here's a good fit. Right, exactly. And so. here's something in the official text that says that could probably be true. So, like, you right. wouldn't be wrong to the rules lawyer at your table if you, you know, are shunned for homebrewing stuff. Right. And <laughs> then in the real world, like, in the real world, religions disagree all the time, constantly. So, that's well, very in the true, fantasy world, 
different religions would disagree about everything all the time there too. So yeah. Anyways, I think we're ready for to get ready for a long rest. Yes, I think so. Um, uh, yeah, let's get ready for our long rest. All right, sounds good. William, welcome to the long rest. It's uh, it's been an arduously well, not arduous, but it's been a long episode with lots of talking. It is especially on your it end. May, might be the biggest episode this year. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> it's definitely the biggest topic. Uh, yeah, that's true. And and in honor of it, my slippies are godly and huge. And <laughs> as they think about things uh, that are mostly in terms of like we're getting ready for bedtime, like straight up, I'm pretty sure my slippies were like, we need a campfire, and then it just ignited. And then, like that kind of that sounds useful. That kind of went, but back. it also sounds dangerous, right? Because there was somebody really close to it, and like they did <laughs> take fire damage. It was, oh, uh, yeah, no. it's a little, it's a little Three weird. Bonfire, but, but you know what? I'm gonna sleep. My feet have never been warmer. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. So, um, I believe we have some contest winners to announce. Finally, holy shit! This you contest are- ended so long ago. It did, it did. But um, you want to go ahead and announce the Instagram winner? Yeah, so thanks to everybody who tagged somebody on Instagram to get your entries in. Uh, I appreciate your patience. So, like, we don't actually announce the winner until they, like, respond uh, to make sure that right. they are the winner. So sorry for the people right. that were uh, were on edge for that. But uh, we got a lot of entries, and I, I really appreciate you guys. So the winner is uh, at XOXOXLYSS. Um, so, yeah, congrats, oh congratulations to you. and Congrats. And uh, I hope you enjoy your your coffin full of cool stuff. Indeed. And thank you for everyone on Twitter who partook in the contest and spread the word about the show. Congratulations to at the queer, the conqueror, um, who was the name that was pulled. And uh, she has her prizes on her way to her. And um, yeah, again, thanks for everyone for sending the word. And we have a new contest as well. Same rules. So if on Twitter you want to uh, enter... All you have to do is share an episode of the show with hashtag DungeonCast. And the prize for this one is real sweet. The new Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. That hot and we're new giving shit. away the prize on indeed. And we're giving away the prize on December 1st. And I believe you can uh enter on Instagram as well. We're giving away two, one to Instagram, one to Twitter. Yeah, uh same thing on Instagram as the Cursor Strad revamp and the last couple of um the last couple of contests we've done. So just go find that post. Hit, you know, like it, make sure you're following the account and uh, start tagging people. One friend per comment will get you one entry. Um, you know, people finally started tagging, um, you know, whoever. Like, I, I see the like the cast of Crit Roll getting tagged in there and stuff like that. Like, that's okay. cool. I mean, like, they're sure the whole point is to like spread the word to your friends to tell people that like, you think That'd might listen to the show. If- but I mean, like, if I get Matt Mercer's attention, that's not bad. For the That's show, cool. here's a question: What if, what if one of them does the thing and shares it, and like they get pulled? I guess they win, right? A crit roll member wins. That'd be crazy. They could, yeah. If if the, yeah, if the random came up, like I'm not gonna stop uh, Marisha Ray from like winning a toss. A toss the word about the show. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, you know, wh- whoever whoever you guys want to tag is fine. But I'm gonna, you know, we take some. Uh, there's some. What am I trying to say? You know, like. If you're tagging like corporations or like, cele- that's not as helpful. Yeah, celebrities beyond the scope of you know, yeah. like D and D celebrities is one thing I think. Like if you guys want to all tag the crit roll cast, I guess that's fine. Like I don't see that's that hurting us, but like yeah. or or like I don't think that's gonna take away from like counting as an entry. Basically, what I'm saying is like if uh, you tag Gwyneth Paltrow and I go to see <laughs> see you as like a winner for the show, I have to skip that one. You know what I mean? Oh, I see what you. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So like, there's some there's some entries. Just use your use your head. You know. You should, yeah. Common sense. Be able to like what out. helps the show. We hold the right All to right. say that like you, like Nike's not going to get you the win. So sorry. No, that would be that's what I've been yeah. trying to say yeah. this whole time. Is like yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Better example too, Nike. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I mean, uh, anything else? Um. Leave a like and subscribe. Help our al- our, yes. our algorithm if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, um, leave a review of our podcast on whatever podcatcher you are uh, using, but preferably iTunes yeah, is the most you know um, notable one. Yeah, but any of them help are cool. Um, but we really appreciate it. We see people leaving the iTunes reviews, and uh, we mm. read them all. I mean, they're really usually mm. typically very glowing testaments of the show, very so true. that's very flattering. Thank you. Um, otherwise, I don't have anything else. I just really love the audience. All right. You guys rule. Well, I do. I do as well. And I think it's time we call it a game. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Dungeon Cast. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.